Mr. Mark Selby, how are we, sir? I am very good, Mr. Matthew Gordon. I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear it. Big week, lots, lots of news. Um, and I, I want to talk about those, those Saudis in a second. That's, that's, uh, the big, big, big news this week. But first, I can, let's kind of start with the, uh, market prices and what's happening there. So another exciting week in the summer doldrums. Basically, uh, the, <laughs> things popped up to the top end of the range, actually got above 22,000 briefly. Um, but basically sitting, you know, at the upper end of the 20 to 22,000 range where we've been since, uh, the end of June. Um, in, in the Chinese market, some interesting things uh, going on. You know, sulfate prices uh, remain flat and still the market we haven't seen. We saw a big surge in orders in June, but haven't seen sort of a surge follow through yet at this point in time. Uh, what's surprising, though, is um, we, we've been seeing and, and it's been a couple of weeks now where we've seen ore prices tick higher um, and NPI prices tick higher. And we really haven't seen stainless prices move yet. So there were some rumors floating around the market this week that the Chinese State Reserve Bureau has been stocking nickel. Um, and so maybe that gave uh, some people, uh, you know, the courage to maybe, uh, you know, do a little restocking um, if the government's buying. Uh, it's a good time to, you know, to pick up more nickel. So, um, but again, we'll see, see what happens. That's that's a good signal that maybe, you know, we're going to see yeah, some, some meaningful improvements in the stainless market uh, over the next few weeks. Okay. All, all, all good news. Um, is there any, anything, anything coming out of China that we need to know about? Uh, no. No, that's the no, key piece. All, 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 all quiet, all quiet. Yeah, okay, on right. that front. Yeah. Right, this is the bit that I want to talk about because we, we I think we talked about this potentially, you know, uh, uh, well, certainly a, a while ago, you, you've mentioned it to me. Saudi Arabia investing into Valley, now taking a 10% stake at 3.4 billion. It's nothing to them, but to the mining sector, this is a big, big move. What's happening there? Yeah, no, that that's the key piece here. I mean, it's a sort of a you know a short one-page news release. Uh, it's been talked about uh, happening, uh, you know, for about the last four or five months that they're close to this deal. But the big, big read-through for people uh, listening is, you know, if people believe the energy transition is real, um, you know, you've got you know tens, if not hundreds, of of X more capital um, employed in the oil and gas sector. And even if a trickle of that capital starts to move over into the mining, because again, if, if energy transition is real, if oil and gas has peaked and those people who are in the oil and gas business need to go find a new business um, that's growing in the future, then it's rational that they would start deploying capital into the into the business that's replacing their current business, You know, particularly because they're relatively adjacent to each other. Um, so, you know, I think the combination of, you know, we talked about this, uh, you know, a month or so ago was, you know, ExxonMobil getting into the lithium business in the Southeast US um, is, is again, a little beachhead, you know, in the first little, little sign that that's happening. I think the follow through now of seeing the Saudis, you know, who are basically, you know, buying, you know, Valet's base metal businesses, nickel and copper, um, you know, deploying a bunch of capital into the nickel and copper sector is a pretty interesting move. And so um, it'll be it'll be really interesting to watch this space over the next 12 to 24 months, because, again, the relative size of the capital pools, you know, even if a fraction of that comes across, that'll really feel like a tidal wave coming into the market. And it also that'll be a signal to the generalists 
you know, who have been sitting on the sidelines really um, in the mining space, uh, you know, over the last while here, um, you know, that this is okay, this is a sector that we now need to rotate into. Uh, and again, you know, that's something where they, if they change from 1.5% allocated to basic resources to, you know, 2%, uh, again, that's something that just feels like a flood of capital coming at this market. Well, I mean, let's just focus on that a second. I don't want anyone to kind of miss what's, what we're talking about here is Saudi Arabia obviously may, has made its money in oil, oil gain. They are looking to transition away from a dependence on oil um, into other things like, um, you know, gr green hydrogen, all, all sorts of renewable uh, projects, base metals, a big, big piece of um, that, um, you know, transition. Um, so this is really important. So this this is only, I mean, obviously for, for, for the Saudis, 3.4 billion is nothing, but in terms of new money coming into the space, which we're all crying out for, because we're all sitting arguing about, you know, which company's got the best, you know, uh, the, the best assets and we're moving money around a very small table. This makes the table a much, much bigger. Um, new money will kind of free lots of companies up to do things that they've been wanting to do, but they've been cash constrained. So, so you talked about some, some generalists looking into what Saudi Arabia is doing here and saying, well, actually, if they're, if they're into this, maybe we should be into this. Is it as simple as that? Or is it going to, or the generalists going to take a little while to kind of get on board? How quickly is this money flowed in? Oh, it'll take, again, the generalists don't, don't, you know, um, never move particularly quickly. But it's one of those things where, um, you know, if you all of a sudden then, you know, see a follow up from, say, you know, the UAE, there's, there's Mubadala, there's a bunch of other um, Mideast capital funds. If you start to see them making substantial investments into, into, into some of these sectors, you know, all of us, you know, or you see another oil and gas company make another lithium investment. You know, it's one of those things where they may not move off the first data point, may not move off the second data point, but if all of a sudden you get a cluster of three, four, five things, you know, then, you know, that's the kind of thing that all of a sudden, you know, starts to attract, you know, some meaningful capital, uh, you know, coming our way, which, which again, will be transformative uh, given right. where we're sitting today. Well, it's amazing. I think, so just to, in context, so that's 3.4 billion is 1% of 2022's revenue, oil revenue for Saudi Arabia. It, 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 it's, it's small beer today, but if, if, if they get the taste for this, this could be really, really interesting indeed. Um, let's move on to other geography. So that's big, big, big news, guys. Um, pay attention. Um, it's a real driver. Uh, Australia. So yes. catching up a bit. <laughs> so surprisingly, somehow, you know, one of the countries that actually produces a decent amount of nickel did not include nickel on the critical minerals list, uh, even though I think pretty much every other country has it. Um, so uh, they are now uh, adding, updating the list and nickel and potentially copper are both going to be on that list, um, which will be helpful uh, to the existing industry in there. Because, because again, there's not near, you know, the, the programs there aren't quite as rich as they are in the United States and Canada, but there's still uh, a bunch of incentives that'll help, um, you know, uh, developers in that space. So it's nice to see Australia getting caught up because again, it's one of the you know few places geologically where you do have a chunk of nickel sitting there. So, um, you know, hopefully that will continue to spur further investment in the nickel space uh, down under. Right. And I, I kind of, well, sticking with Australia, um, we, uh, Widgie Nickel so was obviously spun out of Neo Metals, um, but in use from them as well. Yeah. So, so um, uh, Widgie uh, has 
a set of properties just southwest of Cambalda. Um, it was actually part of the land package that we acquired when we acquired the Beta Hunt mine for $12 million back in, in, in um, 2016. Um, but <laughs> we, we sold it off for, I think, a million or $2 million because we you know, needed the capital uh, at that point in time and, and not much was available. Uh, again, the team there running it uh, is ex-West Gold. Uh, Steve Norgard is, is there. And so, uh, you know, a good mining guy uh, running it. And so, um, no, they've had some pretty good, good, good step outs from, uh, they inherited a bunch of existing nickel resources and then have, have done a good job um, doing some decent step out drilling. So um, you've got uh, 29 meters at 1.7% nickel and five meters with five meters at three in there. Um, and that's just from 88 meters deep. So, you know, again, decent higher grade, uh, shallower uh, resource, and then some good infill drilling, you know, of the kind of, uh, you know, widths, um, you know, widths and grade, you know, that look pretty interesting. So, so, you know, good to see, you know, that, that set of deposits uh, developing uh, on track. Okay. And then um, one final bit of company news for you, Dash off. Um, Magnum Metals, PEA came out. What did you make of it? Yeah. So it's good to see again that, you know, the, the, they picked up the uh, Denison mine, which is the old Green Hill mine Inco and, and, and Magna has, as we named it to its old name called Green Hill. Um, you know, th- this was a past producing Inco mine, uh, you know, that was closed. It was part of a PGM deal, which is how Sabanier ended up with it. Um, uh, the good thing is, you know, there is some open pitable resources there as well as some historical underground resources. You know, Magna has put out some pretty splashy drill holes, uh, again, in Sudbury in certain structures. You can get some some pretty nifty grades. Uh, you know, the, the, the interesting thing is, you know, the headline numbers were pretty good, but then the market popped off, has come off about 15%. Now, part of it is that popped up the week before about 10%, but you're seeing it, you know, the, the, the drop off from there. So headline wise, yeah, it's great. You know, you basically have a 22% IRR, 15 year mine life, um, you know, roughly 10,000 tons of nickel per year over 15 years. So, you know, in these days, that's a decent size size asset, you know, and, and the, the NPV is about 200 million Canadian in, in, in total. Uh, you know, what I, I think the market reacted negatively to was, you know, the, the total capital that they're talking about is 129 million uh, to get started. 48 million was what they called advanced exploration. 24 million in open pit and then 57 million in underground. You know, I think in a lot of people's minds, what they were thinking is, you know, uh, this was going to be a small scale open pit restart. So we're kind of focused closer to the 24 million. Um, and I think our, we're surprised by both the 48 million of exploration and then the underground capital. I mean, it's a it's a sizable underground operation at about 3,500 tons a day. Uh, you know, and so I think that was number one. Number two, you know, Magna had put out some pretty splashy high grade intervals. Uh, again, there are structures there that can yield uh, some some pretty juicy grades. You know, to be fair, some of this has not been incorporated into this particular PEA in, into the into this engineering study. It'll have to wait for sort of the next study that's there. Um, but again, as I said many many times, it, it's good to get a high grade interval. But generally, by the time you often get it to a mineable width. Um, in a lot of these deposits, the grade gets diluted down. So, you know, the, the grade in the PEA over the mine life was, you know, 0.6 nickel, 0.6 copper, and just over one gram per ton PGMs, which, you know, again, I think the, the resources have improved versus what they inherited. But, you know, the resource grade is the resource grade. So, you know, that's, you know, that's what you, you end up mining. So, again, I, I think given that they had, you know, 
multi-percent nickel, multi-grade, multi-gram per ton platinum grades. People were like, oh, okay, I was maybe expecting some of that. And then I think the third reason is just valuation. You know, they um, they had done a great job promoting it off the back of, of, of that acquisition. Um, you know, and at a 75 cent share price, which is where they're sitting before they announced the deal, they had $120 million market cap, you know, versus a 200 million NPV for the project. Uh, you know, that uh, in this market uh, is was was pretty good. You know, at that point, you know, we'd be worth uh, almost a billion dollars uh, Canadian based on on our PEA. Uh, and we're definitely not trading um, at, at those kind of levels. So, you know, I think in terms of relative valuation, um, you know, they still have their Shakespeare deposit, which also adds, you know, some, some net asset value in there. But, you know, obviously, Denison's become the flagship asset. Um, and so, you know, I, I just think for some investors, you know, that relative value trade off got got pretty, you know, pretty, pretty tough. Right. OK, well, look, um, look we need all of the above. You've always said it. So, like, I'm, I'm sure they're going to work their way through um, all, all of the above. Uh, and I'll talk to them um, soon to kind of hear it from the horse's mouth as well. Just one one final thing. Um, there's a little bit of um, talk or potential for Russian nickel to be subject to sanctions in UK, Europe. Do you see that happening? Yeah, I think it could. I mean, they basically a lot of uh, a lot of producers effectively self-sanctioned. So they got rid of as much Russian nickel as possible. Uh, it made Glencore and Valet's uh, day. So, you know, in Europe, um, you know, shortly after the Russian war, you saw massive increases in nickel premiums um, in Europe at that time as, as people tried to get their hands on, on non-Russian nickel. Uh, to be honest, I don't know exactly how much is still going in there, but it'll, it'll still be an issue because, I mean, pre-pandemic, you probably had almost half of Russian supply ending up in, in, in the Russian, in, sorry, in the European market. Uh, so, you know, to, to have to reallocate that much nickel globally, you know, does, does have some friction costs associated with it. Um, and so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how we go. Again, th this year, you know, stainless steel in Europe is a big driver of nickel demand and stainless has been a little bit soft. So it may not be as painful, but, you know, what we'll, we'll, you know, that's not that situation is not going to continue forever. So, you know, we'll see what happens as we go into 2024 from a from a stainless front. OK, Mark, well, I appreciate your um, time today. We'll see you next week. Sounds good, sir.